0: This is Janelle Wood, and you are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and you are listening to our episodes for August 2023, where we'll be talking with Sina, and I'm so excited to introduce the guest that we have on today, Abdu Murray. Abdu Murray has been on this podcast before, and before you hear all that you're going to hear today... I just wanted to give you a little preview. At the very end of the conversation, you're gonna hear us talk about a second episode. As of yet, we don't have it scheduled, so maybe this season, maybe sometime in the future, but. Abdu has been on this podcast before. I love his heart for evangelism, for sharing the good news that he found in Jesus with other people. He does an excellent job sharing today with Sina, as you'll listen to in a moment. Uh, She had some great questions, and I hope we get to have him on again. But in the meantime, uh, enjoy this episode please go follow Abdu Murray on social media or embrace the truth. You can find out lots of information there. I know he just recently had an article published about Barbie. He's uh, you know staying current on trends and um, talking about things that matter to people. And I just really appreciate um, our guest today as well as Sina's presence and her wonderful questions. So enjoy this episode. My friend, this podcast is sponsored in part by Faithful Counseling. Life is full of ups and downs, unexpected twists and turns, and sometimes we struggle with all that can come our way. Faithful Counseling will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist who is also a practicing Christian. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And as someone with a master's degree in counseling psychology and whom at various times in the past 20 or so years has benefited from seeing a professional therapist, I know the value that professional counseling can bring because we all need someone to talk with and Faithful Counseling can help. Please visit faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real to sign up for professional faith-based counseling. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. There's also a special offer for Finding Something Real listeners to get 10% off your first month at faithfulcounseling.com slash finding something real. Thanks again to Faithful Counseling for being a sponsor of this episode. So friend, why Christianity? There's so many religions out there, lots of versions and stories of God, depending on what you've been taught to believe or where you came from. How do you determine what is true when you're afraid of believing a lie? Mm -hmm. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and you are listening in for season six, where we're starting off each month with a different young woman, sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. This month, our content is being curated For or by or with uh, one of my favorite young women. She's our Danish exchange daughter, Sina, and she's actually here today. Sina, hi.
1: Hey, thank you for that presentation. That was (laughs) nice. Uh,
0: Well, you rushed out of your culinary arts class today and your presentation. (laughs) uh, I know you had a project over there. Um, Thanks for being here, even though it came at a sacrifice. And before we introduce today's guest, um, I want to provide some context. So, when this episode airs, it will probably be one week after your intro episode that we actually recorded four months ago. Um, mm-hmm. So, there's been some time in there between when we last talked and now, when we last recorded. Yeah, when we last recorded, you shared that you were feeling open to faith and wanted to know if Jesus was real, but you definitely shared some big questions and reservations. Do you feel like you're still in the same place, spiritually speaking, or, or where are you right now in your faith journey?
1: It's definitely still, like, I'm still in a very, like, confusing stage. Like, I don't really know what to believe. I will say I'm getting more and more convinced that Jesus probably did, like, res- resurrect, like the resurrection did happen um, and all of that stuff. But I don't know if that makes sense all of it real and yeah i yeah <laughs> i'm not sure how much of it is
0: yeah your your skepticism has been a little disturbed i you went to church with me the, over the weekend it was really kind of cool i got to present about the podcast and then immediately after there was a presentation about eyewitness testimony in the gospels and it was about joanna Uh, which is kind of an obscure (laughs) eyewitness testimony. And it was such a cool apologetic story. And later I asked you about it and you told me two things. And with your permission, I'm going to share this, but you that okay? Okay. You shared with me that you were touched to tears during that presentation, that sermon, and that you had actually tried talking to God. Um, What was that like trying to pray? Was that the first time in your life you've done that?
1: Yes, it was. It was weird. I I don't know how to say it. I, was, I don't know how much of it is real or not.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just like a weird. I don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: I haven't done it since, so. Yeah. We'll see.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful you're here today and that you chose to be here and make this a priority, even though you could have been other places. Um And I'm really excited about the conversation we're going to have today with today's special guest. I told you on the way over here in the 10-minute car ride between me picking you up from school and racing over here, I was like, you can ask this guy anything. Today's special guest offers the credibility of the gospel message as a speaker and writer with Embrace the Truth. He has authored several books, including Saving Truth, Grand Central Question, Apocalypse Later, and the forthcoming More Than a White Man's Religion. For most of his life, he was a proud Muslim until a nine-year historical, philosophical, theological, and scientific investigation pointed him to the Christian faith. He has spoken to diverse international audiences and has participated participated in debates and dialogues across the globe. He holds a BA in psychology from the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and earned his Juris Doctor from the University of Michigan Law School. And he lives in Detroit, Michigan area with his wife and their three children, Abdu Murray, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast.
2: Uh well Janelle, it's uh it's a real pleasure and a tremendous honor uh to be on uh and I and I mean that in every sense of the word. Um your I po- I said this before and your your particular podcast is such a refreshing um uh and authentic uh podcast because and th- and I think that that's not a uh, coincidence that the name is so speaking of authenticity because here i am i get to have the tremendous honor of speaking to uh senia you know and i've never met her uh and yet her (laughs) authentic well her authenticity and her um uh uh just openness to sharing a, a, a faith journey and where it might lead and what the questions might be is the kind of thing that um people don't often do in private conversations let alone on a podcast um, so uh, it speaks tremendously of your character, uh, Janelle, that someone of Sina's character uh, can trust you with that kind of a thing. So I commend. <laughs> I, I, so I, I feel is. honored. I feel I feel honored to be uh, uh, sharing um, the both the airwaves and the video waves with both of you. So thank you both for uh, allowing mm-hmm. me to be a part of this.
0: Wow, Abdu. Well, thank you. It's an honor and a privilege to have you here. Um, And thank you for your gracious words. Uh, Sina knows. I mean, I basically said you're going to be (laughs) here. So I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it speaks to uh, my character, but also my persistence. I don't know. What do you think, Sina? A little bit of both?
1: (laughs) I mix. I can mix. A mixture. A mixture. (laughs) So
0: last year, uh, Abdu, you were able to share your story with Leonie from Germany and Zoe from France and then they had some great questions for you. I'd love mm-hmm. to pretty much do the same thing here today because I think Cena will have thoughtful questions to follow up with what you share. Also, just a little side note, we were at um, Evening of Excellence, which is like this awards ceremony for the high school that she attends, small school. But still, she was nominated for three awards and the category that she won was English. So I know she <laughs> can articulate whatever questions she has um, in a really beautiful way. <laughs> Yeah, um, you beat out all the like native English speakers, Sina. You know? I just have to say so. Um, but before we dive into all of that, I want to hear some of your story, uh, like last time. But would you just share briefly about your ministry? I know I've touched on it in your bio here. But for people who want to know more about what you do and where to find you, yeah. would you share that?
2: Uh ah, thank you for the opportunity absolutely so embrace the truth is a uh, a ministry that does largely evangelism but we we use apologetics in order to do that and apologetics of course meaning from the Greek word found in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 where we where we are to be prepared to provide a reason or a defense or an apologia in the Greek for the hope we have to anyone who asks and to do it with gentleness and with respect and so our our mission statement is to offer the credibility of the gospel to every questioner we encounter. Um, we're not really interested in answering questions. We're interested in answering people Mm -hmm. because questions don't need answers, questions that don't need answers, but people need answers and they use their questions to get them. So you respect the person when you take the question seriously, but the person is always the goal. The question is not the goal. The person is the goal. And so, um, that factors very much into my own story. Um, having been a a pretty convinced Muslim for a long time, uh, and then being confronted with the possibility that the gospel isn't as silly as I once thought it was. Um, I I went on a journey for uh, nine years from the time of faithful witness, where two guys who came to the door of my uh, apartment at the University of Michigan, um, who were Baptist guys, they came to the door and they wanted to share the gospel with me. And I was very interested in sharing Islam with them. Uh, They came and um, they expressed their beliefs in a way that wasn't just, here are some propositional truths, here are some ideas, here are some dogmas from this book that we believe blindly, that we want you to believe blindly. They didn't come at that. They came with a heart to say, we actually believe this is true, and we think that this is how you get to heaven, and we want you to be in heaven. We don't want you to convert. We want you to be in heaven. And I wanted them to go to God's paradise. I wanted them to become Muslims and go to God's paradise. So we had this mutual interest in each other's destinies uh, as our conversations. Uh, and they were testy. I mean, they weren't just conversations. <laughs> I made these guys uncomfortable for hours at a time. Uh, but they were persistent in their in their care for me. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that they really actually cared. I was not a project. I was a person they cared about. Well, over the course of nine years after that... Um, I uh, lost touch with those guys, but I ended up um, meeting quite a few other people, Christians, who actually knew what they were talking about um, and could have some responses to my objections and um, had some um, objections of their own they 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 sent to me, and I, and I had to wrestle with those. Over the course of that nine years, I began to study every ism and schism there was, whether it was Islam and Christianity or atheism, um, should I be an agnostic, uh, what about buddhism how about how about um you know uh uh hinduism or other versions of uh some form of pantheistic be- belief systems all of them began to fall away and really the, the issue began to become uh christianity and islam and i became a I became a christian over 9 years even though the answers that i that were sufficient for me to become a believer uh i found those in two and i say that very particularly because you're not going to have all the answers. If we're waiting to find out all the answers that a, that my particular worldview might answer, whether it's Christianity or atheism or a secular humanistic thinking or Buddhism or Islam, if you're thinking that this will give you all the answers and then you can believe it, well, then you're never going to find anything that's going to be worth believing. And you'll be stuck in this weird sort of limbo state where you doubt everything, including your doubts. And uh, that's no way to really live. The question is does a worldview provide you with sufficient answers for you to actually dive in and then explore whether it it, it actually gives you comprehensive answers um and as a christian I, i believe that i don't know everything i believe that i will never know everything um and that gives me great comfort because i also because i follow a god who claims to be the um the source of all truth and all everything so that means that heaven will never be boring because I will have an infinite eternity to plumb the depths of an infinite God. And I will never have all my questions answered, which means I get to learn infinitely. <laughs> um, and so that gives me the ability to trust that I have enough answers. So what that means essentially, and I'll wrap it up like this. It took me nine years to become a Christian not because the answers were hard to find. I found sufficient answers in two years. I wrestled with them for seven more because it's one thing to assent to the truth. It's another thing to embrace the truth. Um, And finding the truth is not hard. Embracing the truth is hard because there's consequences. And that's why the ministry is called Embrace the Truth because I recognize from my own background, there was a personal price to pay in becoming a Christian. I did not want to be one. I did not want to become one. But I eventually became one because the truth was hard to deny. And then when I realized the benefits that come, not just the good feelings, but the actual real tangible benefits, I thought to myself, where else am I going to go? What else would possibly give me the intellectual answers and the existential um, answers that I was looking for, like this faith? Um, and so I, I embraced it. I gave my life to it. Um, any consequences I had to pay paled in comparison to whatever benefits, not only that I would receive, but that I therefore had an obligation to tell to tell other people about because I wanted them in the same heaven that those two guys who wanted me to be in, who came to my door, wanted me wanted wanted me to to enjoy. And so that's what I've been doing since then. Uh, was it tough? Yeah. Was it worth it? You betcha. Um, and I get to find little nuggets. Um, can I share something real quick? Just 30 yeah. seconds. You guys mentioned Joanna. And <laughs> I. one of the reasons why the Bible to me is this book that is, and I'm going to write about this as well, but some good friends of mine uh, put together some things called undesigned coincidences, Lydia and Tim McGrew. Uh, but they actually borrowed this from William Paley, the eminent lawyer of centuries ago who talked about undesigned coincidences. And what that means is little details in the Bible that don't really mean anything when you read them by themselves. But when you read them in the full context, you're like, oh my goodness, that fits here. So one objection that was often raised about the Bible was, you know, you have these sort of so-called eyewitness accounts of what happened to Jesus. But then you see some things that happened to Jesus in private that no one could have found out later. Like Jesus goes to Herod to be judged. You know, Pilate is judging Jesus and then He finds out he's from Galilee. He's like, oh, I get to get out of this mess. I'll send him to Herod because Herod is king over Judea and he can he has jurisdiction over the Galileans. I'll send him there and I won't have to make a decision because Pilate doesn't want to make a decision because he's kind of a coward. So he sends him to Herod, and then you hear the story about what happens to Jesus. He's not with his disciples, he's by himself in Herod's court. And Herod starts to basically make fun of him. And the question becomes. Well, Jesus goes from there to Pilate to be crucified, and all these things. How did the disciples actually know that happened? And in comes Joanna. Um, you see in Luke chapter eight, verse three, that Joanna, the wife of Huzza, was the manager. Who was the manager? Husa was the manager of Herod's household. So Joanna is one of the people who follows Jesus, and she happens to be related to his disciple, one of his disciples. So she's the she is the wife of the manager of Herod's household. So this story you would never hear anything about. The Bible actually answers how you'd know anything about it because Joanna was actually related to a guy who was there. Mm-hmm. So the eyewitness accounts just dovetail so beautifully. And so you mentioned that, and I just whenever I think of Joanna and someone mentions her, I just remember her role was not insignificant. Not only was she a supporter of Jesus's um, financially. Uh, but she actually helps to corroborate the credibility of what happened to him.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's what we heard this week. And also that mm-hmm. she probably risked her life for that. It was yes. just really, really beautiful um, to mm-hmm. hear more about. I mean, I grew up in the church and i never heard that story before. And yeah. the pastor just threaded it all the way through. It was very touching. Oh, um, mm-hmm. But one thing good. I want... What was that, Cena?
1: It was pretty good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One one thing I want to touch on before I let Sina take it away here with her questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned you didn't want to become a Christian. I mean, right. you, you had, I mean, I'm guessing a good family life. You had a lot in your Islamic identity, your Muslim mm-hmm. identity. Um, I remember wrestling with my faith and being afraid to look into it because I was afraid of the answers I might find. And mm-hmm. a lot of times it's just easier to look the other way and go, I'm not yeah. going to deal with that. Um, And I've certainly seen that here on the podcast where somebody comes to a point of, well, okay, I I do believe in this God, or I think I do believe in this, but I'm just not going to go any further because I'm afraid of what I might discover. I'm afraid of the sacrifice that might happen. I was even looking into your book, uh, Grand Central Question here, and you talk about the same thing when you're talking to an older gentleman about faith, and you're talking all these questions, and finally, what you just said, you know, it, it came out the cost of actually choosing Jesus? What would happen if he actually chose Jesus? What that would cost Mm. him? So why were you willing to look into something that could cost you everything, Abdu?
2: uh, uh, There's there's really two reasons, um, Janelle. Thanks for asking. Just two reasons. Um, uh, The selfish reason. The selfish reason first is that um, it could cost me plenty on this side of heaven, but it would gain me everything on the other side of heaven. Mm. What I didn't know is what it would gain me on this side of heaven too. Um, it's one thing to say, okay, this is, will I'm willing to lose everything for one, the sake of the truth. I mean, the truth is worth sacrificing for. Um, uh, but two is that, yeah, there'd be this wonderful sort of benefit to eternal life and bliss and all this. Um, but there's also something that happens when you do that within your own life, where there's a satisfaction that comes. You know, it was Chesterton who said that uh, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian because for the Christian, all the central questions of life, not every question, but the central questions of life have found answers like meaning and morality and destiny and origin and all these things. The central questions have have, have their answers, even if the peripheral ones don't. So Chesterton said for the Christian, the central uh facet of the Christian life is joy, and the peripheral issue is sorrow. He said, but for the skeptic, the person who hasn't found sufficient answers for the central questions, sorrow becomes central, and joy is peripheral. You have little punctuated joy through a life of uncertainty and these kind of things. And so, coming to faith in Christ, though it had plenty of consequences for me, had the had the the, the effect of giving me a central a centralized version of joy that. Every question, and these are the grand central questions I talk about, from how did we get here, why are we here, why is the world the way it is, and how do we get out of this mess, those central questions had answers. And not only were they comprehensive, but they were coherent. They cohered together. Um, that provides joy and a sense of real, 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 real uh, fulfillment despite the consequences, and they're outweighed. Those consequences are outweighed by that joy. But then um, the second reason. And second reason is not selfish, it's more about integrity. If it is true that God the Father asked God the Son to come and live as a perfect sacrifice, a perfect life to 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 have no debts of his own to pay, so that he could pay my debts for me, and then he pays those debts in that physically torturous, agonizing, Terrible way. You know, the word cru- a crucifixion comes from the 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 Latin excruciatos. Excruciating, the word excruciating, literally comes from the same Latin root as the word cross or crucifixion. Excruciatos or excruciating literally means out of the cross. That level of pain and suffering was done for me. And it's proven that it was done for me, not as a noble gesture, but as an actual act of paying my debt because he rose from the dead. If he rose from the dead, then his action means something. And so here's the question. How could I look at that? How could I look at what he did for me and say, what you went through is not enough? Because don't you know, I might go through some trouble? Well, what I go through is nothing compared to what he went through. My my sense of integrity required me, once I assented to the crucifixion and the resurrection, it required me to say, I have to accept this because the pain that I would experience is nothing compared to the pain he experienced for me. And so it's just a matter of, it's, it's, it's a huge matter of that. So those are the two reasons why. Um, plus the joy set before me is the joy set before Jesus now. Um, and uh, it's... I can unequivocally say it's been worth it at every moment, both in the good and the bad.
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, all right, Sina, uh, that was a lot there. And I've got your question here, your bigger question, but any thoughts on that? Or if you want to articulate your questions, you go right ahead. I'll just jump in here if you need me to.
1: No, ask uh, my question first.
0: <laughs> okay. Um Abdu, I want to ask this one follow up question real fast. I'm just Mm going to. You've been in ministry for a while and you've had some ups and downs, uh, some of them publicly. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people would walk away. Um, They would say, ah, people, this is a big mess. Uh, Life is complicated. Ah." But you've been bold in your faith and also bold in your ministry and you've continued to share uh, about embracing the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, why, what, what's kept you going?
2: Uh, yeah. Thanks for asking. You know, I could go back to, uh, my law practice anytime I wanted to and be making a lot more money than I'm making now. Um, and (laughs) not have to deal with the other stuff, uh, anytime I wanted to. Um, yeah. A couple of reasons. First is you learn some lessons from those hard knocks about yourself, too, about shortcomings you've had, about the way in which just because you can articulate a few arguments and put some things together doesn't mean that you're not uh, capable of making some 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 mistakes uh, that you need to uh, recognize, repent of, and fix and try to. And I can't say that I've done those things perfectly, but i've I've done as as, as, as I'm working through trying to do that as best as I possibly can. Um, but there's some things to learn here. but this message, this message of the gospel I, I tremendous i do feel a tremendous sense of calling that this is something i'm supposed to do mm-hmm. um and though there are other avenues for me to be able to do it professionally uh sorry while i'm doing other professional work i could do it on the side you know or not on the side but it's uh, i could weave it into my professional career um i really do feel the sense of calling uh to keep going to keep uh doing this and to learn from the from what i went through uh cuz if i don't change anything about my 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 public witness and apologetic in light of what i went through then i went through it for nothing and other people went through it for nothing um the gospel is still true um no matter what and it's worth believing and if as long as the lord allows me um i'll continue to do it ultimately janelle um you and i both know this this is not a a right i'm not i don't have a right to do this it is a privilege Mm -hmm. and the minute it it's no longer my privilege to have. It'll go away, and I'll have to accept that. But until that becomes evident, this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, 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 I thank God for the opportunities I undeservedly get to, to do this kind of thing, including and especially sitting here with you both, uh, sharing what I can share. It's a calling, and it's something I'm very passionate about because truth, when embraced, brings freedom. Yeah.
0: Well, I personally just want to say thank you. Um, My pleasure. Thank you. uh, And yeah, in our first recording together with Sina, going back to what she shared, she said, and I quote because I think she articulated this in a really beautiful way. She said, I just see so many religions. How do you know which one to believe in? You know, like which one's true? Who can tell me which one's the right one and which God is the right God? Because I don't know who Mm -hmm. to believe in, you know. What if I believe in one, but it turns out the other one was the true one? Will you speak into that uh, that sentiment there, Abdu?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, Sina, let me say, um, one of the things that jumps out at me from the way you formulated that question or that issue is um, your desire not to believe a lie. Um, that's tremendous. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are comfortable believing something that may or may not be true or even things they know aren't true. Um, and so it... it to me speaks tremendously of your character that this is a question that you take very seriously because you don't want to be on the wrong end of it um and uh i think that's tremendous uh so let me let me uh just uh applaud you for that and tell you how much i appreciate even that one nugget in that longer question it's such an important one Um, I very much can identify with this because, look, I became a Christian because I believe it's fundamentally true. Uh, I did not want to be one. If I thought that there was a significant doubt about the veracity of the Christian faith, I would not have become one because I could have saved myself and a lot of people I love a whole lot of pain. (laughs) Um, uh, But uh, now my level of conviction about it doesn't mean it's true. It just means that I truly believe it's true. That's all it means, that I'm sincere uh, in it. Um, uh, Can I wrestle with this stuff? But this is a question that um, I think is important to ask. So a couple of things, I think there's a couple of ways to go about looking at this. Um, uh, Let me go to the uh, evidential questions first, is who to believe. Um, uh, You know, Jesus makes an interesting statement in comparison to everybody else. When you look at Buddha or you look at Confucius or you look at Muhammad or you look at any number of leaders of religious faiths, essentially what they're telling you most of them don't root their claims in history muhammad is a bit of an exception but uh, for the most part most religious claims are not rooted in a historical reality um whether you have the stories of hinduism which are not necessarily meant with the various gods and all these things or krishna to never you know you might have a birthplace but do you have a historical context you know where something happens where the bible describes something it says you know in the reign of thus and such king when this and such person was the governor of this and such province at this at at a certain a certain year and it gives you this range god did this so it gives you a historical context it basically says we can actually plot when it is the bible says this happened and this happened and this happened you don't really get that in other religious belief systems um And if they aren't even theistic, I mean, Confucianism doesn't necessarily teach you that there's a God, uh, so much as there's a way to sort of better yourself through the observation of duty and obligation and honor and these kinds of things. So there's no real like objective um, sense in which we can know these things are true. Those other systems of belief basically say, look to the wisdom or the beauty or the dogma of of the teaching, whether it's Buddha or, you know, you name it. Um, And so it becomes sort of subjective in one sense. Now, there are bits and pieces of verifiable objectivity in some of those religious systems. Uh, Islam would say that the Quran and certain historical things about Muhammad are objectively verifiable. But the Christian faith actually is so much different because Jesus doesn't say, you know, when I die, my teaching will be so beautiful that it will live on and inspire the hearts of millions for generations to come. Now, that actually is true. That actually did happen. I mean, there's no questioning that this man, God incarnate, taking on human form for just three years of public ministry in a obscure outpost of the Roman Empire, manages to change the world? That's Sort of a miracle all by itself, but set that aside for a moment. When the authorities in John chapter two and in other places in the Bible ask him, Why should we believe you? Who do you think you are? He doesn't say, I'm wise. He doesn't say, I speak for God and you know, just trust me, I have really beautiful words to say. No, he says this: destroy this body. If you said if you destroy this temple in John chapter two, meaning his body. And I will raise it up again in three days. He gave an objective test. He basically said, I've come here for the purpose of taking on the sins of the world when I die. And I will rise again from the dead physically, not spiritually, not symbolically, not that way, but physically to prove I was right. um, To prove that I have the power over death so that you can have hope about power over death as well. Now, that's objective if he died and stayed dead we'd have no reason to believe him no reason at all who knows maybe he was right maybe he was wrong i don't know but if he died and rose from the dead we have every reason to believe only him when it comes to religious claims because guys who rise from the dead tend to have credibility you know that's pretty good badge like hey who should i believe well that guy because he can rise from the dead at will you know that's not a bad a bad credential to have so you take a look at Muhammad, you take a look at Buddha, you take a look at Confucius, you take a look at Gautama well, Buddha, you take a look at um, uh, uh, Radhakrishnan and all the, the sort of uh, gurus and all these things of past um, belief systems, either they're dead or dying, and they stay that way. Only one rose from the dead. So the resurrection, which you, know, you had said you were closer to believing actually happened, um, is a marker of the of the veracity and the the objective reality of the christian faith so i think from an evidential historical standpoint if jesus rose from the dead then he should be believed and what he said was i am the way i am the truth i am the life no one comes to the father except through me now that's a harsh and what you might someone might think that's a harsh statement like you're excluding everybody else, um, but one. I didn't make that statement. The guy who rose from the dead made that statement, so I don't get to say you're wrong. I don't like what you said because I can't. I don't have the power over life and death. But the one who not only had the power over life and death, but who could speak, and the universe leaps into existence. He said it, so I have to take what he said, not what I want. Um, so that's the uh, how I can say. When I say Jesus is the is the truth, it's not because I say it, it's because he said it, and then he died and rose from the dead to back it up. If he died and stayed dead, who knows? Maybe he's wrong, maybe he's right, I don't know. Um, the other thing though, so that's evidential, I think historically evidential, and the resurrection does back into it, because like I said, if a guy can rise from the dead, then I should believe pretty much anything the guy tells me. Um, Uh, that's how you can know if the resurrection is true everything else he says is true um number two is uh, there is every worldview has to answer the big questions of life how did we get here why are we here why is why why is the human condition the way it is why is there so much suffering and evil why is there so much good and flourishing um and then is there a better life is there a way out of this mess? And what I try to answer in Grand Central Question, which I'd be happy to send you a copy of, Sina, um, uh, should you be uh, interested in reading it. I know you just got done with the whole year of study. The last thing you need is another book. But uh, <laughs> if, if you, you could use it to even the tables out if you need to. Put it underneath and make the, the tables uh, even if you want to. But I'm happy to send you <laughs> one. The questions of life are really are answered in the Christian faith um, not only comprehensively but better. Than other systems of belief, so if I could just take another minute, because it's a big question, just give me an, another minute or two to do to say that. If there is no God, then we got here by accident, and um, uh, you have to. I was going to debate. Uh, I did debate an atheist, and uh, when I debated him, when I prepared for my debate with him, I read everything. And I watch every video I can I can find on my what my opponent has said because I want to make sure that I know their case. I don't want to I don't want to argue against the case they're not making. I want to respect them by understanding their cases better as well or better than they than they do. Um, and this opponent of mine was on a radio show, and I listened to what he said. And he said, you know, there are some things about belief in God that are absurd. I don't necessarily agree with them, but that's what he said. But he said, but also not believing God has some absurdities too. And like the universe came from nothing. I mean, when you think about that standard big bang theory, which I'm, I'm fine with, says that the universe, all matter, energy, space, and time began to exist from nothing. In other words, there were no things at all. And then suddenly there was everything. Well, if there's nothing, nothing can't do anything, but suddenly there's everything. So if there is no God, then how we got here remains a complete, not only a mystery, but unsolvable because it doesn't actually make any sense that we can come here from nothing. Because you have to believe the absurdity that nothing did something. Well, nothing can't do anything because it's nothing. So you have to believe that absurdity. Is that harder to believe than the idea that... Um, as uh, you know the the ancients would have said, the uncaused cause, the supernatural, uncaused cause spoke the world into existence, um, and that, um he could do miracles, like create someone out of a virgin birth, um, like rise from the dead. It seems to me that on atheism, the explanation for our existence is actually a little harder to believe than um with if if there is a God who was uncaused. Um second why how did we why are we here if we're here by accident then there is no why nothing actually happens for a, a an overarching reason everything has meaning only because we give it a subjective meaning but you and I and all of us are going to die one day and if the laws of physics continue to apply um the universe will grind down to a heat death it'll all be a flat featureless disc of no more expended energy, it'll be distributed across the universe and everything will just cease to move, including molecules. So it all comes to nothing. So then how do how do notions of justice and fairness and beauty and compassion mean anything beyond the short life you and I are gonna have? Um, but if there is a God, then those things actually do have meaning and there's a purpose and a plan for our existence and justice and compassion and these things mean something. Um, Why is the world the way it is? I think that, you know, if uh, Dawkins, Richard Dawkins is right, who's an atheist, he says, look, if there's just selfish genes and electrons, then the world has meaningless tragedy and meaningless good fortune. The world is just, just, it's the way it is. But if God exists, then all of these things actually work together and our suffering and our flourishing mean something far more deep than simply, I guess that's just the way it is. And then finally, the way out of here. There is no real way out of this mess if there is no God. It's just we try to make the best of the time, and eventually it all ends. But on the Christian faith, reality, though it is decaying, actually is redeemed. And so not only do you have the historical context for the resurrection of Jesus, but you have really good answers, I think, to the fundamental questions of life in distinction to other systems of belief. Islam, atheism, Hinduism, and those, uh, those views, they try to answer those questions, but I think that those questions don't actually cohere as well as the Christian faith does. I've gone on for a long time, uh, so I apologize, but the question is such a big question. Um, so if you look at other religious systems, they deny the resurrection of Jesus as a historical fact, and that historical fact is actually a fact. So if they deny it, then they can't be true. At least not on this one important point. And if they deny that Jesus was who he said he was, and yet he proved he was who he said he was, well then those, those systems of belief are inadequate compared to the adequacy of the Christian faith. So you can do it by process of elimination, but you can also say the positive case for the Christian faith actually proves it to be true. Now, does it prove it to an absolute certainty? The answer is no. But you don't know anything to an absolute certainty. I mean, look, we live in an age of AI, right? I could be a computer generated image. Uh <laughs> now that now that but I mean, it's not even a joke really anymore, right? I mean, yeah. it could deep fakes are real. Um, we I watched it's Star Wars Day today as as we're recording this thing. Um, and you watch one of the Star Wars movies, and they've in, they've created entire actors from previous videos of those people. They're not even there mm-hmm. and they look real. Um so but we, we we trust what we can know to a degree of certainty based on high probabilities. So I think the Christian faith has those probabilities in its favor, and it answers deep questions for us. So that's, I mean, there's a lot more to be said about such an enormously important question. Uh, but that's a start. Um, I went on for a while, like, that's a start? My goodness, how, is he ever going to shut up? Uh, and the answer is yes, <laughs> I'm going to shut up now. <laughs>
1: okay, well, I do have a
0: question. Yes. So, Friend, if you're enjoying this episode, you may also enjoy exclusive bonus content each month. Finding Something Real is a podcast that has some costs associated with it. We have a website, monthly subscriptions to stay organized. We design things. We like to pay an assistant producer who keeps things going around here, that kind of stuff. We're not in the business of trying to make money, but we are in the business of wanting to keep this show going and be sustainable. So we use Patreon, and if you haven't heard of it, Patreon is the best place for creators to build memberships by providing exclusive access to their work and a deeper connection with their communities. Each month, patrons who support Finding Something Real get a bonus episode where we recap the month's episodes. Often those episodes feature our co-hosts, and they will often share what this journey was like. There's other perks over there, too, and it's easy to get involved. Just go to findingsomethingreal.com and click support at the top of the page. We'd love to have you over there in our Patreon community.
1: Now, like, if I do believe in the resurrection, and but then Christianity only began at one point, right? What about all the people before that? Like, and I'll I'll tell that later, but I have some skepticism about heaven. Like I have a bunch of questions about that. But sure, like is it could it be that there was like it was all the like if there only this one God that everybody just had the same one and like different variations of it? Um, because if he really like has that character like that, I feel like all the all Christians are talking about like he's such like he loves the people he created wouldn't he send everybody to heaven then? Like, what about the people before, like, before Jesus came?
2: Yeah. Uh, So those are um, uh, great questions, by the way. Um, And they're all related, but I do want to separate them out if I could, just because I think that they're related, but they're... I want to answer them piecemeal if I could. So let me take the first part first, which is uh, what about those before Jesus? So Christianity as a movement in and of itself, which proclaimed Jesus to be Messiah, the one who delivers and redeems the whole world, that, yes, started as that movement with that name in the first century, uh, so 2,000 years ago. That's true. but. Does that mean that the the belief that God would send a deliverer a messiah to redeem the world started then? The answer is actually no. Because when you look at the Old Testament as one record, and I know there's other, you know, you look at other people and other groups and say what about them, you know, the outside of Israel. Um what do you have? Let me let me go back and say this. When you look at the biblical account, the biblical record, you have a couple of things that are really interesting. First is that you have the um the first people in, in the Christian message, who are Adam and Eve. And when they fall, when they sin, um, because their sin was they wanted to be like God. They wanted to take his place, essentially. And so they sin and they fall, and they're suddenly ashamed of their sin. Uh, they try to clothe their nakedness, which is like a symbol for their sin, for their for their shame over this. They try to clothe it with leaves. You'll see this in right in Genesis chapter 3. They try to clothe themselves with fig leaves and other things to clothe their nakedness. Um, and God says that they are still naked, basically they acknowledge that they're still naked. And so what ends up happening is, is that God actually clothes them, the Bible says, with animal skins. Now why that's important is because that is uh, a, 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 a statement that something had to die to cover up their sin, because their nakedness is a symbol of their sin in order to cover that up, something has to pay the price. But God doesn't want Adam and Eve to pay that price, the full price, which is a spiritual and a physical death. He doesn't want them to. So the first symbolic act that God does to show his love for all humanity is that he clothes the first humans in animal skins, which shows that something has to pay the price for you if you're not going to pay it. And that's the central Christian message. So from the very beginning, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and in fact, I would even say Genesis chapter 1, if you see the story unfolding, what you see is in the beginning of the world, from the Christian point of view, that God does so love the world because he clothed the very first people in a sacrifice that God himself makes, which is foreshadowing the sacrifice that God himself would ultimately make of his own son. So he doesn't leave suffering to the animals and to humans. He engages, and that's that, That's from the beginning. Now, that message starts to spread all across the world um, in, in some senses. And human beings, because of their sinful c- condition, essentially start to, to change or mutilate that message in some ways as well. And so... Um, uh, take, for example, the book of Job in the Bible. You know, the book of Job is very famous for being the story about this man who is blameless and righteous and all these things. Yet God allows him to go undergo unspeakable suffering. Um, uh, and now the book of Job, you might be, I don't know if you know this, but it's interesting. The book of Job is actually the oldest, probably the oldest book of the Bible. It's actually older than Genesis. Um, and what you see is there's no reference really to the Mosaic law. There's no reference to any of the prophets. There's no reference to any of Israel's history in the book of Job. So um, it suggests that it's really, really old. It's older than all the other ones. And so the message about a Messiah hasn't really been developed in the sense of the other parts of the Bible. Yet Job actually says that he is looking forward to a day when uh, there will be a Redeemer, who is to come, someone who is to pay the penalty, who is to redeem Job out of his sinful state, and that Redeemer will be sent by God. So you see this message actually predates Christianity by thousands and thousands of years. So it's not that it's independent of Christianity, it's that it is. Christianity is the culmination of centuries and centuries and centuries of a message where people were looking forward to seeing a time when that Redeemer would come. Um, We see this foreshadowed in Abraham, we see it foreshadowed in Moses and other prophets of the Old Testament. So we see that this message predates Christianity, and Jesus is simply the culmination. He's He's the fulfillment of all the hopes of before. In fact, the New Testament says that there are many people who hoped, who didn't see perfectly, but they waited in hope for a Redeemer that God would give. Did they know His name would be Jesus? Probably not. Did they know he would die on a Roman cross? There were no Romans back then, so they couldn't have known that. Did they know how it would happen and when it would happen exactly? No. But did they trust that it would happen? The answer is yes. Now, you might say, well, what about other people outside of Israel and those who received this revelation through the Bible? Well, you see indications of this in other belief systems. Now, I want to be careful here, okay, Sina? It's not that those systems of belief are the same as Christianity and will also lead you to faith. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there are some themes in those systems of belief. Human beings, and the Bible predicts this, that human beings recognize that there is a moral law, an objective moral law that we have to conform to and that we've all fallen short of that moral law. I mean, I could quote for you, uh, for example, Um, uh, a, um, uh, a poem by a Hindu named Tukaram, where he is a polytheist, he's a Hindu, and he's praying to a certain God. And, you know, Hinduism doesn't have the idea of a redeemer in its own doctrine. But here's this Hindu poet, for example, who says, I recognize my sinfulness. I recognize my shortcomings. Please don't hold it against me. I need redemption I implore your mercy. He's talking to his patron God. So there's a recognition somewhere that we are the problem and we can't fix us. The problem is, is that all these systems of belief um, and the people who believe in them start to actually change that. They do what Adam and Eve did originally, was they believed God or they believed the message that we are dependent upon God and his mercy, but ultimately they start to say, well, if you do enough good things, if you just believe the right thing, and if you do all these things, well, then you can save yourself, that you can become your own savior. And that's why uh, you have this skewing of the world um, away from a gospel message, which I believe actually pr- goes all the way back to the first people who could actually commune with God. And so it's not that, that, that the, God hasn't revealed himself to people. He has revealed himself to people and he has revealed, I think to all people, and he has revealed a universal message, which is that we are in a sinful state and we can't fix ourselves and that God is going to provide a redeemer. The problem isn't the universality, of the message. I think we all recognize some sense of I'm not the way I should be. The world is not the way it should be. And I'll try as hard as we can, we can't fix it. It's not the universality, of the message. It's the universality. Of the, of the acceptance of the message. So I'd say that, that the message, as far as I can tell, from studying all the other systems of belief, is hidden in, um, in various forms in other belief systems, but it gets changed over time so that we can become our own saviors through our own good works. And when we trust in ourselves, we're gonna disappoint ourselves because we consistently and constantly fail. But what the gospel message is saying is that we have to trust in God, that he will provide a redeemer for us and has, in fact, done so. So my, the short answer uh, or the, the sort of the summarization of the answer is that, yes, there was a time before where people didn't know it was Jesus of Nazareth who was that redeemer. But they were looking forward to that redeemer. And God rewards that faith. God rewards that trust by saying, I did it. I did it and you can you are saved as well. There are those outside of the nation of Israel who recognize there's a need but they trust themselves instead of trusting in this redeemer. And so I can't speak to whether someone who lives in, you know, parts of Mongolia who've never heard the gospel message could uh, either before or after Jesus's time could have trusted in God as a Messiah or savior. Maybe he they they could have. But <clears throat> Uh, if they don't, that's not up to me. You know, God is love and God is loving, and He is the one who can try His best. So let me wrap it up by saying this: People don't go to hell because they believe the wrong thing. This is this is critically important. People do not go to hell because they believe the wrong thing. People go to hell because they trusted the wrong person, and they trusted themselves if they trusted in God and that He would provide a Redeemer for their, for their sins, that, that's what salvation is all about. That Redeemer happens to be and only be Jesus, but they trust in that. I'll leave that to the God of the universe to, to, to decide whether or not their faith is genuine. That's not for me to say. Um, I can tell you story after story after story of people I know, uh, who've never heard the gospel message preached by somebody before, but God came to them in a vision or a dream, usually dreams, and reveals to them that they've, he has sent his son to die on a cross for their sake, and they believe that message, even though they've never read a Bible, even though they've never heard a preacher preach, and they come to believe that message. God can break into anyone's life um, and redeem them. He doesn't need me doesn't need Janelle to do it. I get the privilege of being a part of that process, but he doesn't need me. The number of believers I know who've come to faith, irrespective of Christians, is, is remarkably high. So God can do what he wants to do uh, in, in his revelatory way, uh, but he chooses to use me. And so the last part I think is, you know, if God has this character, wouldn't all people get to go to heaven? Um, God respects God respects our choices. He gives us the free will to accept Him or reject Him, which means He has to leave enough room in life where we could actually reject. But He gives us enough evidence where we are perfectly rational to trust Him. What that means is this, is that there are going to be people who reject Him, and God is going to respect their wishes. He's not going to drag them into heaven kicking and screaming. But I think if you were to look at every other religious system in the world, they're very different from each other, except in one way. And that one way is this. They all say, if you do enough good things, you'll achieve enlightenment or you'll achieve moksha, which is release, or you'll achieve divinity, or you'll achieve heaven and God will smile on you for your good efforts and for your sincere heart. They all say that we can be the solution. Um, It's only the Christian faith that says, no, we're the problem and God will not leave us in that state. So every other system of belief says, if you do enough good things, you get to go to God. The Christian faith says, God will do everything in His power to bring you to Himself. The only God who ever sacrifices for those who hate Him is the Christian God. And so to me, I don't think we can ever really say, God, you didn't do enough to save people. He sacrificed His own Son. And he made it obvious to all of us that we need a savior. And he's provided that savior. So I think he, can, he, he rewards that kind of faith um, as well. It's a very challenging question and I appreciate what you've, you've, you've said, um, but I do think that if you were to look at the God of the Bible, it'd be very hard to say that this, this God didn't do enough to try to save people. I think he's given us a lot of reasons and a lot of evidence um, to know that we need a savior and that we can trust him that he's going to he's going to provide it and I think he actually has provided it.
1: Um I have, I have a question. I don't Please. I don't know if it's like anything you can answer, but I always thought that like heaven and hell was like a metaphor for something or something. I don't know, but for me it's kind of like irrational. Like I don't know why it's there because I don't know if we need it. Like I think I mentioned this to you before you know. Yeah. Um like my whole question about it is like yeah, why do we need it? Why do we need to go somewhere after? I mean I get that there is the hope that if you don't think your life is enough here, if it's like because there's like people who live horrible lives that it's giving hope and like helping them to live that life but yeah i don't know i don't understand why it's there heaven and hell mm-hmm. okay. and for me so, like hell to me is completely like unimaginable
2: okay i don't know In why term- but- can, I, can i ask you a couple of unpacking questions just to make i, I yeah. try to understand it Um, so, uh, you start off by saying that it's more, they're more like, um, symbolic or metaphorical, right? Like it provides hope, heaven provides hope, and maybe hell provides an incentive to not do bad things. Is that that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. And then, um, so, but why is it logically, why is it needed for us to go somewhere after this, this life? Can't it just be over? Yeah. Okay. And that you the the last thing you said was that hell is unimaginable. What do you mean by it's unimaginable?
1: For me, it's just like I don't know. I just I don't see like I don't understand why there is a devil. You know, like mm. where is it there? Like if God really did create all of this, and like also yeah, like who create? How did God happen? You know, like yeah, if God sure. really created all of this. Why did he create a devil or a Satan or what it is? Why did he create mm-hmm. hell? You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like why yeah, so, is that
1: part there?
2: Yeah. Um well that's, so these are all great I questions. Yeah. yeah. Um
0: We may have to schedule a part two.
2: <laughs> we might, Sorry, we might have I know that was why I was like, I <laughs> no. don't know
1: if I'm gonna ask it. I was like, it doesn't No, no these that are that really great.
2: It's great, I got to tell you, it's great. I, I boy, I, I blathered on about other things for so long. I feel like I maybe interrupted your questions. I'm so I'm sorry about that. Um, so let me let me try to be succinct on this, and maybe we can follow up. Um, uh, uh, so uh, heaven and hell exist. heaven exists as a gift, um, because what heaven is in the Christian faith is not what people tend to think of it in terms of either hollywood or things you grew up with you know we're all you know these just just spirits bouncing around on clouds playing harps and all this stuff and just singing all the time that's not what heaven actually is in the christian view heaven is physical like when i'm resurrected uh, uh in at, at the end when history ends and eternity is ushered in that eternity is actually physical so it's a real existence. My body will be raised, glorified, just as Jesus' body is physically raised, glorified. But I won't be merely physical. I'll have tremendous abilities that I wouldn't normally have in a limited physical body. I'll have a a a, a, a glorified physical body. So heaven is a different category. But heaven, fundamentally, what heaven is about, is about relationship with God, because for the Christian, heaven isn't just a physically blissful existence. Like I get all to eat all the chocolate I want and gain no weight. You know, not that kind of thing. I mean, that's I probably so. true, by the way. <laughs> I think that's actually going to be. I think that's going to be true. Uh, for me, it's uh, Skittles and ice cream that I want to eat without <laughs> without reservation. Um, no, the, the the culmination of heaven. The real issue is relationship with d- the divine. So it is a gift. It is a privilege that is sealed forever. I mean, I want you to think about what heaven means. What heaven means is that if God exists, then he is the uncaused cause of everything. Everything that exists, exists because of him. And so he is the source of all existence, he's the source of all goodness and all truth. And we get to have intimacy with that. Now what's interesting about the Christian faith is that heaven is intensely relational. It's not just a place you go to do stuff. It's a place you go to be in communion with God why is that why is that why does that figure in the Christian faith? because God is one in the Christian faith but he's one in three persons Father, Son Holy Spirit. so the Father loves the Son the Son loves the Spirit and the Spirit loves the Father and the Son as one being, one being with three minds that eternally love each other. so God is a being in relationship. And so why we go to a heaven that is defined by relationship is because the definer of all of reality, God, is a being in relationship and the Trinity. So we experience heaven as an expression of God's very nature. So it's not there just as a cool little perk of belief. It's actually the culmination of why we're here in the first place. You and I exist not so that God can have relationship and God can have worshipers. I mean, that's a that's part of the existence, but that's not the fundamental reason for our existence. We don't exist because God was lonely or God needed to be affirmed and say, "Yay, yeah, God, we love you. You're great. That's not why we exist. We don't exist so God can have relationship. We exist so that we can have relationship with God and with each other. So it's a completely selfless Gift. God does not need relationship. He defines it within himself. But He creates you and me so that we can have relationship. And heaven is the culmination of that. Now, why is there a hell? A couple of reasons for this. One is that hell is absent the whole medieval look at things as this torture chamber where the devil is so happy that you're there and that you're in misery. That's not what the Bible describes as hell. It just doesn't describe it that way. Hell is real. And what hell ultimately is, is the separation of our relationship with God completely is that we have chosen. I don't want you, God. I want to be my own little God. And God says, thy will be done. You wanted that. I'll give you what you want. And so what you wanted was eternal separation. Um, and so we get that. And and by the way, the devil is not happy in hell either. The devil had that relationship with God, and then he chose to rebel against God, and he eternally rebels. He just does. And so that's the devil's choice, not God's choice. So, But why is hell eternal? Why does it exist eternally? Let me just say a couple of things on this. The first thing is this, regard to the anguish and the torture or whatever it is of hell. I prefer to say, as other theologians have said, hell is not torture, hell is torment. What I mean by that is this, you ever been exceptionally thirsty and all you can do, think about is the glass of water you don't have in front of you and you can't wait till you can get it and you know it's coming? Mm-hmm. Hell, is, hell is like that. Our soul was made for God and hell is simply the state in which our soul thirsts for something we have rejected. And we continually reject it. Hell is, hell is the state of our will. It is perpetually rejecting God, even though we know we know him. It's like someone who is incredibly thirsty, knows they need water and says, no, thank you. And they continually do that for eternity. Now, why is it eternal, though? Because our actions have consequences. And what heaven and hell tell us is that we have the ultimate dignity. I want you to think about this. If you die and there's nothing after this, then nothing you do really matters. And nothing anybody else does really matters. It matters in your life and then it's over and the universe uh, stops working. Everything uh, basically stops. That's eventually going to happen. It's going to be billions of years, but it's going to happen. And bam, it's over. So nothing we did ultimately matters, eternally matters. But if there's a heaven, then the rewards for a righteous life echo into eternity. But also, if there's a hell, then the, re- then the punishment for evil and rejection and all these things, those matter eternally as well. Because if there's nothing after this world, then what Mother Teresa did when she sacrificed her life in service of the orphans of India gets the same reward as Adolf Hitler, who ended his life in cowardice, while he tried to serve the interests of only Adolf Hitler. If there's nothing after this, they both got the same thing. And I think our sense of justice, our sense that justice has to matter, is simply offended by the idea that those two people get the same end. The same thing happens. Nothing. It's oblivion. But if compassion really matters, then there's a heaven where that compassion is rewarded. If evil really matters and we are we are incensed at it and injustice means something to us, then a hell where this stuff matters um, exists uh, to show us that the evil really matters to God and he takes it very seriously. In other words, he gives our decisions dignity by saying they that they that they have eternal consequences. But does that mean that someone who's not as bad as Adolf Hitler, but you know, uh, uh, still trust themselves for their own redemption gets the same punishment. No, the Bible talks about different levels of that. But also the fact is, is that if you take pain, okay, like I, I blew my knee out trying to play basketball and I had a tremendous amount of pain for a short amount of time. But let's say you took that pain that I experienced when I destroyed my knee and you stretched it out over eternity. I'd still feel that pain, but it would be dispersed over eternity which means that it won't be necessarily as bad as someone who tortured a baby for fun and the, 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 the torment they would feel for eternity as well. It's, it's just a different level of these things. And these are all things I'm thinking about as I think through them. But I think hell exists because our decisions matter. And God gives us the dignity of saying, your choices matter to me. And I'm an eternal being, and so your decisions matter eternally. But he didn't leave us to that. That's what the whole cross is about. The cross is about a way to keep us out of that hell and bring us into heaven. You know, the Bible says that God wants his house to be full. And his His house is a place of bliss. So they don't exist as only incentives. They exist as gifts to us, um, as the culmination of relationship. Um I hope that helps a little bit.
1: It does. It definitely <laughs> made it more like a real thing because it's it's been a little like, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how much. Yeah, I don't know. It's confusing. Like,
2: hmm. Well, like I said, just just think about about think of it as, um, <clears throat> if hell is simply uh, separation from God's existence. Sorry, separation from God's um, God's relationship with you because of our, our choice that we don't want Him. Um, God's respecting that choice, and heaven is the uh, fulfillment of our desire to be with Him. So they they exist as fulfillment of both of our desires: our desire to be with Him or our desire to reject Him. God gives us that 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 dignity, hmm. and so if if they're only symbols, then the choices don't mean anything. But if they're real, then the choices do mean something.
0: Sina, <laughs> if it's okay with you, I'm gonna propose something here. Uh, we're right. running long and I I love your thoughtful questions and I know you have some more and I've got some marked here. I also know that Abdu has written some great books and I have, I have copies of two of them here. So here's my suggestion and Sina here is a reader, Abdu. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering, Sina, would you read the two books that I have that are his? And then we could set up another appointment like this and we could further this conversation. How would you feel about that? Would you be willing to do that? That would would definitely work. Yeah. Um, Abdul, what do you think?
2: Oh, I would be not only thrilled, but tremendously honored. Yeah. Um, And I promise I'll be more concise. (laughs) (laughs)
1: No,
0: this was wonderful.
1: The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration, eternity, authenticity, authenticity? authenticity. Yeah, and love. Which of those things stand out to you the most in your life right now and why?
2: Whoa. Yeah, okay. It's a
1: hard question.
2: Um, yeah, it's a hard question because I think all of those things actually mold uh into um sort of a comprehensive way to live life um all those things actually work together um but i like that love's at the end because with without love none of those things actually means anything um uh so i would say um uh authentic love could i cheat and say that authentic authentic love uh, characterizes some of some of my existence right now, whether it's with my wife, who loves me so authentically, whether my friends who love me so authentically because they know me, um, and I want to be authentic with them. And so in order to give them authentic love back, they have to know who I am uh, in all my shortcomings, and of which there are numerous, and uh, all the virtues that God has endowed with me that I can take no credit for, uh, of which there are unfortunately, just a few. Um, <laughs> but uh, there are those things that are authentic. So I'd say authentic love um, that I see expressed in people around me, but ultimately that I see expressed in that message of the cross. You know, I'm obsessed with the cross. Uh, I, I, I I think about it, I write about it, and I, I do digital paintings, of these little doodle drawings that I do, that I think are um, expressions of that. So authentic love, Absolutely. But that leads to redemption, and that leads to eternity, and that leads to all these things. So um, I'm going to cry foul. This is an unfair question. I I don't have to choose.
0: (laughs) Well, you're not the first one to complain about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Great well, question, though. <laughs> you heard it here, friend. If you're listening, this is part one. You'll listen to part two soon. Uh, Abdu Murray, Sina, thank you both so much for being here. This has been a really yeah. beautiful conversation. I'm excited for part two. So, Thank you for um, answering my
1: questions.
2: Yeah. Sina, you're a very bright young lady. I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds for you. Uh, I'm excited about what that is. You're clearly a bright young lady, and thank you so much for the honor of being able to respond to your questions.
0: Mm. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that, but if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.